Hello and welcome to Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is your host, Rochelle. This is the show, Taking a Bullet. Today I have a guest with me today. It's uh, James Brooke and Celia Brooke. Uh, my wife is with me today. This is kind of like uh, going back to old times. We're, we're almost doing group here. I talk about in the show where I was uh, kind of fed up with the fake church people that I had been known to before in other relationships through church. And when I came to, it was this group, and I sat right here where we're sitting now, in your living room. And I thought, in my mind, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be brutally honest and I'm going to blow these people out of the water, I bet you. <laughs> because, you know, they're all the, going to be all these churchy church types and I'm just going to say, hey, I'm addicted to porn, how do you like that? <laughs> and I had no idea that you guys were going through what you were going through at the time. And that's... Uh, <laughs> what was our response? Tell us something new? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But it is, uh, it's just amazing how what God can do when we're open and honest in a, in a group situation like this and when we really have that safe place you know that we can open our hearts and and not worry about people beating us up you know um, this book uh, the purpose of this book is not for what's going to happen six years down the road after an affair this book was written basically to help an individual, whether they are struggling, thinking about having an affair, whether they're in an affair, whether they've been caught in an affair, what to do in that next few days, weeks. That's but, what it's about, basically. Well, yeah, the, the book, Take a, Take a Bullet, I mean, probably the majority of it's written to the person who is just discovered that their spouse has had an affair. Um... The beginning talks to, uh, refers to a few people who are maybe in the midst of thinking about it or have knows uh, a loved one or somebody who is in an affair and how to help them through that. But I found out in our situation when I when I discovered my wife had an affair was that I felt very, very alone. There was just nowhere to go. There's nothing to read. There's no radios to listen to. There was it, it just it was very much in isolation and and uh, and I, I and I didn't want to struggle in this area with tri trial and errors. It was very painful. And I mean, literally wanted to lay on the floor and just God take my breath away. Just I just want to stop breathing. And so when we on our journey of walking through this, the book was kind of a byproduct of that of saying, you know, let's reach out to the next person who could reach out to the next person or, or, or group of people etc who are going to be in our shoes maybe they are already in our shoes or will be in our shoes in the future and knowing that they're not by themselves that there is at least some information out there and it is it's basically the way I look at it is it's a, it's a very heavy duty bandage in triage this is not the, the, right. the, the, the plastic surgery or the, the heart surgery the major surgery that's going to... This is just triage bandage to get you through, like you said, the next hour, the next day, the next week, to get you to maybe your pastor or your, or your, a, a Christian counselor or to a small group of a, a valued Christian friend to help you through this journey. It's just a bandage to get you through the next few moments, which are, of some, in many cases, the mo probably the most devastating moments of your life. Right. Instead of just giving up and saying, get out of my life, never want to talk to you again, just 
God is with you and there is some hope. Right. In about, uh, my counselor told me that in about 70% of the cases uh, when a woman catches a guy uh, addicted to pornography in that compulsive stage where they don't really know how to stop, it can be just as damaging as an affair. And I like about, I like how in the book you uh, made the analogy that be, catching someone in an affair or like my wife catching me uh, using pornography, <coughs> I talk about I me mean, smashing her heart on the floor like a light bulb. But you talk about in the book how it is uh, probably second only pain-wise to uh, a death of a child. Yeah, the... Um I, I'm not, I have no statistics uh, to back it other than uh, counselors who have shared this. As far as stress, painful, the number one is burying a child. Uh, we're just not built that way. Right. Uh, we, we can uh, bury a spouse, we can bury our parents much easier than burying a child. Second to that is um, infidelity in your marriage. And I, the way I took that as, because when that was told to me, I, that rang so true to me. And the way I, the reason I, I, I understood that was, the marriage was murdered, mm-hmm. like a child would have died. The marriage was murdered, and your spouse is the murderer. Right. There's a piece of trust broken. Yeah. I'm it, sure that my it, wife. It's, can. it's even deeper than that. It's it's like the whole everything that you knew has just been destroyed. And the person you're looking at across the table is the one who did it. Right. So if you imagine, you know, looking across the table at the person who murdered your child, that's kind of the relevant. But this is a person you also love. Right. That love didn't change the moment you found out about the affair. You're just very, very deeply hurt and devastated by the knowledge that you now have. The affair had been going on. The affair had. I loved her yesterday when she was having the affair, I just know about it today. Right. So that that, that love is still there and stuff. You're just looking at the person who's doing the destruction to your marriage. And I think that is the, the basis of what's um, behind the, the, the level of stress. Um, but, you know, if you really think about it, um, you know, uh, statistics show that 50% of men are having an affair, or excuse me, 75% of men are having an affair, 50% of women are having affairs. And I would say it's in the 90s mentally, yeah, emotionally. Yeah, I, I bet there's a very small percent that are not having any kind of emotional, mental, or physical affair. So, in, in with those statistics, we're all struggling with the, lust, especially in that in society area. with the way the in commercials that area. and everything, TV, and you know, it, it just the way it's all built around society and. and the struggles with lust out there is something that we have to constantly be fighting as men, um, as men especially, being visual creatures that we are. But uh, as far as the the porn use for me, reading this book and identifying with you as my wife in a, in a sense, having hurt in in my wife like I have, I was identifying more with Celia being the offender. Um, but you felt you read the book too, honey, and you felt about the same way as uh, mm. as James did, does, didn't mm-hmm. you? Especially when um, the part in the book, I was—it's just you know, my husband didn't have an affair, but boy, was my heart feeling just the way you were saying it in the book, which was 
the whole thing of wanting to know details about what happened and everything, just to kind of like, are you going to tell me these things? Are you going to be honest with me with everything? Is was a big point and change for Russ and I because mm-hmm. I wanted to know, even though I thought it was sick too, I want to know everything that he did and what was what was doing. I didn't want anything hidden. Didn't want no surprises later on about hearing about something that just hit me. And you were just so raw. I like that. Yeah. I just felt really touched by that part in the book. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because um, I have met with other people who would be on the other spectrum of that. They did not want to know the details. <laughs> it was more painful for them. And, and I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you and I, see for me, my mind was much more creative than she was. Celia was, you know, Celia didn't do the things that I my know. mind had her doing. <laughs> right. I had all kinds of imagination. Uh-huh. So by asking her the details, <laughs> what happened, yeah, they were physically impossible. <laughs> but by asking her those details, it actually took that fiction part away. Right. And the, the truth came, and that was a lot easier to swallow. Yeah. Because my mind made it a hundred times worse. And a lot of that comes from outside of us. I think it does come from the enemy. Those fiery darts are shot into our mind. And it's it's almost a discipline having to... You know what is true. And then when those thoughts start to come into you, identifying that and saying, you know, that's not coming from me. You know, the holy part of me, that's coming from either my flesh, the revenge trying to get even thing, or, you know... It's, it's something outside of me and being able to have that discipline to tear down those mm-hmm. images, those movies as you call it in your book when they come yeah. into your mind is, is powerful it's powerful stuff but uh, Celia as the offender I remember being in group with you we would come in and it was either you know, like you said it was you or me <laughs> on the uh, chopping block <laughs> so to speak we could be rotated yeah and, uh, but yeah, reading this book, I really relate to that. And I'm, I identify with you as being someone who knows what you were doing was wrong. And really, we really wanted to fix this about us. You know, we didn't accept it. I think is important for the listeners out there to understand that we are not our sin. That there is something that is good inside us. And that is the, the struggle that we had to move through, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's a really important um, aspect of, of growth and healing in a relationship that's been violated. Any kind of violation has happened. Um, you know, the, the, the bond that gets broken in there, the trust bond, is so vitally... It's already so fragile to begin with because of all the baggage each person carries into a marriage. And then when you have something as, such as infidelity, whether it be a pornography, a mental affair, an emotional affair an actual physical affair, um, they're all basically the same thing, and they break that fragile bond, and then there is no trust. And so to rebuild that, I think actually you have to become so vulnerable. That's right. And that's really difficult when you are the offender, because you already do absolutely devalue yourself. Yeah. Um, You know what you've done is wrong, and then what you see happening to the other person makes you feel worse. And... um, learning and understanding that we are not actually our sins, you know, that, that we are something different than our sin. You know, that's the action, but we are something much better than that, and learning to forgive ourselves is really vitally important, and that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort, and a lot of counsel, actually, yeah. with, um, until that part gets really worked on repairing the marriage part 
is virtually impossible. Yeah. I mean, in our situation and in, in your situation. That's what we were talking about on our way up here was um, the marriage group was what was a safe place to bring mm -hmm. up the situations we were going through, right. but we did need the counseling to get us through it and to work through it and find out what we need to do, the right. questions and everything we had to go through counseling. Yeah, and That's as right. did we, yeah, and the, just the day by day. But, you know, it's funny you guys brought up the, the wanting to know details, because I remember, you know, James wanted details, and I, I thought, okay, you know, I, I have no choice. This is what he needs. Um, I need to give that to him, and that was difficult because yeah. the last thing I wanted to do was hurt him more yeah. by giving him the details and having him relive that. But you know, like he said, the details I gave were much less sorted <laughs> and creative than the ones he had already planned in his head. Right. So it, it's a it's a real instinctive thing to just hold that inside and say, mm, you really don't want to know this and you yeah. don't need to know this. I've already given this to you. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. You know, if you've got a marriage partner saying to you, I need the details, I need this information. Right. Um, you just have to swallow that instinct, be quiet, and, uh, and let them have it because it, obviously they're asking for a reason. Yeah, they're asking for full disclosure. And it's, um, it's very important. That's right. In the uh, book, uh, Naked Intimacy, had Dr. Block on my show. He did a whole chapter called The, the Good, the Bad, and the Very Bad. <laughs> and basically, I when it comes it. to intimacy, that is kind of part of it, is that you have to be able to get down and, and dig up the stuff that we don't want to talk about. You know, I almost made a pattern out of lying to my wife about little stupid things. And, oh, yeah. and it just was something that I did since childhood with my mom and, and stuff. Yeah, and, and, and breaking that down and identifying that was kind of kind of something we did here in group. And it's just, it's work, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's exci it's, it's an adventure. And I, and I tell my listeners that. And not to look at this as this, oh, God, i got to take this thing on. This is so horrible that we have to go through this. No. It, this is a chapter in your life. You know, I want you to get get excited about it in the sense that this your life is an adventure. And in an adventure, there is not this rosy path that you follow, and it's all butterflies and ice cream and puppy dogs. No, there's challenges in an adventure. There is hardship. And if you really face this stuff, um, well, let me tell you, your life is going to, it's going to get better. It's going to get something that, that is going to be written in a book, much like James has written. Um, I just want people to understand that, that your, your life is not this thing that you have to drag your butt through. Well, it, it also leads into, I mean, the other crucial part is about being transparent. Uh -huh. I know you refer to that quite often on your show. Uh, her willing to do uh, whatever it, it took for me to heal, being transparent, because she could have held back. She could have held back, and like what you said, I didn't want to find out later. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, I mean, people will hold back in the sense of doing something that they feel is good for the other person. I don't want to hurt them by that detail or that knowledge. And guess what? They find out later, a year later, five years later, they are more Davis devastated because you didn't share it. They asked you. They wanted to know. They wanted to, almost in a way, here it is. The light is on it. Now we can put it in our past. Now we can we can work on forgiveness and grace. But we can move beyond it. 
Now, if there's any little dark, little secret out there, it can come and blow up your face, and that is more devastating because it comes around. Why didn't you share that with me? Right. And it, and it becomes, uh, in a sense, more powerful for the enemy because it's like you're deceiving me. You're holding it for from me for a reason. There's more to it. it there's the imagination part going, yeah. you, and the the person who's hurt makes it a hundred times worse than it is because they compile all the things and guess what it's a reset button we're back five years ago to the fair right right i like also what you said in the book about being able to heal on your time as the offender um i thought that dana should forgive me a little faster or maybe we could speed this whole thing up and i was i remember sitting in my counselor's office bob and uh she she met with Bob for the first time, and we sat in his office. And I thought, you know, hey, I've been doing pretty good. See, I'm seeing a counselor now. You know, this guy's a, a expert in this whole sex addiction thing. And you know, I thought I should get some brownie points. And one of the first things he said to my wife is, "You need to know where he's at all the time. If he doesn't answer his cell phone, that should be a concern for you. You can't trust him." You know, he's pointing at me, going, "You can't trust me." I'm like, "Whoa!" You know, I thought I should score some points or something. That I, you know, I've been doing pretty good. But it's that identifying that this is not, it's not my speed. It's really her speed because I, I'm the one that broke her heart and shattered her heart on the floor. You know, and that going through that process is, a, is something that you talk about in the book. Yeah, my timeline, not yours. Yeah. And uh, we, we and exactly, and I'm, and I'm sure that's something that every couple go through in any kind of hurt. Yeah. Maybe not even as devastating as infidelity, but um, a, a lie. Um, I bought a car, you know, whatever. There's a hurt there. And and you say, oh, well, okay, I'm sorry. Now forgive me. And let's move on. Well, maybe the person's not ready to move on. And they may even forgive you, but they're hurt. Right. You just piled a lot of burden and pain onto this person, and you, and you expect them to just, you know, get over it. Yeah. And we did, we struggled with that because in I, Celia's heart and her, and her mind, that stuff was done. It, she was over. There's no doubt in her mind. It was done. Mm-hmm. You see, in me, it wasn't. I didn't know that. I wasn't sure. You know, is this a continuing? Well, you know, because I just this is new to me. She's been dealing with this for a while. <laughs> She's right. already had the past perspective and etc. This is all brand new to me, and I'm just learning how to deal with it. And so I don't know. Are you telling me the truth now? Because you didn't tell me the truth before. Right. Um, you know, you were said you were here, but you were. I mean, so all these questions. You know, this really new. And she she would pressure me a lot because, and I can understand now looking back, she was done. You know, why are you holding on to this pain? Right. You know, I'm so done with that. And but by her pressuring me, it just made it worse. Right. And I, I can't I can't explain anymore. It's not like I wanted to hold on to it, but it just didn't give me the opportunity to heal because I felt now pressure. And I think being Celia and understanding we're kind of the same in, in dealing with our intimacy. And we saw the same counselor who was Alec Lee Warner. Mm-hmm. You guys saw the same counselor as we did. Alec Lee Warner in uh, uh, Lake Stevens, Washington. Great, great counselor dealing with this. The guy's an expert at. Uh, Relationships, I believe, and, and, and intimacy. This guy taught me how to do intimacy because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that Celia was like, like I was. You were starting to learn how to do this whole intimacy thing and mm-hmm. thinking, wow, this is really cool. And we kind of grew fairly quickly over the years period. And we thought that, you know, because we've grown so much, because we can see it ourselves, but they can't see it. And they're still dealing with their, 
you know, distrust her, because that's all we did was pretty much lie all the time, yeah. <laughs> you know. Really good at it, actually. And, yeah. and that's the thing. Once she stopped pressuring, once she got that idea and said, okay, James needs to heal on his timeline. Yeah. James needs to change on his terms and between him and God. So he just worked on her and God, her relationship. So the, I, I'm like, it's almost a switch. Yeah. The moment she stopped pressuring me was the moment my timeline accelerated. Right. And all of a sudden, now I moved on. Yeah. And I was able to heal much faster. So as soon as that pressure was released, my timeline accelerated. And it wasn't much uh, much longer after that that I actually came to her and, and said, you know, I, I'm, I forgive you. And we talked about what grace would look like, yeah. etc. Yeah. And um, I know that's a, a part we're going to talk later in the show, but yeah. that was a difference once that pressure uh, was released. That and uh, pissing off the devil, I yes, love that, that's that my uh, favorite too. chapter in there. <laughs> it's something that, that you know, you, you were talking about that. We talked about that in group, and I've kind of attached that to a, a lot of stuff. Why don't you talk about that for a moment? <laughs> well, the, the idea behind this um, uh, is to please God. Uh-huh. Uh, tell you the truth I don't know anybody who's strong enough to deal with this including myself um, Billy Graham I don't, you're just not strong enough Right. the only only way we got through this the only way I got through this was the strength of God the encouragement by God and that came in so many forms I mean from him directly from uh, people who encouraged me uh, the small groups AC3 as a church and it just it came in different forms uh, but my motivation of what got me from wanting to lay on the floor and just take my breath away to standing up was I'm not going to do it for her I hate her right now but I'll do it for God right. so I stood up yeah Okay. did you write that in the book standing up I don't think you did or did you, did no. you? no No. Uh, but the, the idea of Right. Just get, getting out of that, that first, and then my first step. Well, something I'll do the first step because I'll do it for God. Right. Something I did when I started the show, and it's funny you mentioned that, was I felt that God was telling me that too, was to get up. Mm-hmm. Because That's I thought right. of this, I, when I came up with the idea for the show, I'm like, you know, who am I? I I'm a disaster. I, I have no business starting a ministry. And it was almost like I felt that. God's kind of saying, just get up, get up and walk. Mm-hmm. You know? Take a step. Yeah. Step into the Jordan River. Yeah. It's about and then he'll dam it up. Right. But yeah, and so the the, the please God. Right. That's really what that chapter chapter is about is is I'll do it for God. Right. And by doing that, then my relationship with Celia improved. In the book I'd use that triangle where God's at the pinnacle and there's myself and Celia at the bottom at the two corners of a triangle. And as we work towards God, our space between us gets closer together. Right. So the closer we get to God, the closer we get together, and that's really what it was it is behind that theory is I'm working on my relationship with God, the vertical relationship. Silly's working on her vertical relationship with God, and then then As we can work on our horizontal relationship with each other and others. But that ver- that vertical one is first and priority and crucial. The horizontal will never happen. So that's what about it is. I'm not going to have the strength, and I, I, I would be really surprised to meet somebody who does, but God has the strength. That's right. And God will knows you so well. He knows you better than you know yourself. 
and what worked for me will not necessarily work for the next guy or the next lady and what works for you will not I mean he knows exactly what we need to hear he knows exactly what we need to see he knows exactly what we need to experience at that exact moment for us to turn and go oh okay at least I have a little bit of hope I have a little bit of strength I'll take a step that's right and, and then you get to the next of faith yeah. you have. and that's and that, what I came in when I came into your house in this group I had scraps of faith I wasn't sure I wasn't even a Christian anymore kind of I mean I was a, I believed in God and I believed in Jesus but that was about it you know I thought God was an alien ant farm you know he's got the <laughs> magnifying glass you know snuffing us out every so often that was my attitude back then but you're right you're absolutely right when it comes to just attaching yourself to those scraps of faith if you're listening to this show and you have some kind of a scrap you know, I used to pop in and out of Christian radio. Even mm-hmm. when I was hostile towards Christians, I would sneak over to the Christian radio station channel, you know, and just see what they're talking about and stuff. But I had that, you know. God didn't give up on me. And I, a lot of times I think of us offenders, sometimes we'll chase after our, our spouses or the person we've hurt or offended instead of going after that, that relationship with God. And I love what you said, because you're a driver's ed instructor, I love what you said in that uh, about that going off the the road instead of following God. Uh, the raccoon story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Driving a uh, the raccoon goes off the road. That's a long story. We're <laughs> not going to that. Right. Right. And plus, I have to be animated. That's a good analogy. It is a good analogy. We'll have that a teaser for next time, you guys. There you go. I'll tell, the <laughs> tell you about. Uh, freeway story and a raccoon story. story but but the, the, the little scrap that you're talking about is exactly where the, the title came from, Take a Bullet. I mean, uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going, what the heck is this book about? You're talking about guns, shooting people, whatever. But, what, you know, when I found out about the, the fair, I mean, like I said earlier, I just wanted to stop breathing. I didn't want to commit suicide. I just wanted to stop breathing. Just God, take me now. Right. This is just too hard, too painful. And, you know... I just don't want to... I, it's just too hard. Celia, somehow, someway, and we still don't know how, but she got me to our church and talked to our pastors. And you've been at our church. It's busy all the time. Uh-huh. So it was No one was there except yeah. for our two pastors. Uh-huh. That's pretty unique. Uh-huh. So we're there talking to them for hours. Still, no one's there. And after a while, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, unless I hear God's voice himself, like he talked to Moses, it's just not going to happen. We're going to get divorced. It's just not going to happen. Well, you know, that's probably not going to happen, James. <laughs> You're not that special. <laughs> so he's probably not going to talk to you. So they they basically, after, I don't know, two, three hours, they sent Silly home and just said, you know, let us talk to James alone for a while. I sent her home. And I'm just leaning against the door jam. Just, I, I, I haven't cried this that hard, you know, since, you know, my father died. Uh, or also when the Seahawks lost to Pittsburgh, but th- those are about three <laughs> times. But uh, I'm just bawling. Just, I just I, I just couldn't talk anymore, couldn't do anything more. I said, I'm just done. I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And Dan Hazen, you know, he, he made a, a turning point for you. Mm-hmm. Just said, six months ago, before this affair happened, would you have jumped in front of a bus to save your family? My answer was, yeah, I, I would. You know, I'm still angry and hurt, but yeah, honestly, I would. If someone pulled a gun on your family, would you stand in front of them and, and, and protect them? Well, honestly, yeah. He says, this is your bullet. Right. 
that that phrase turned me instantly that take a bullet yeah it's an attitude yeah it's and a different it, way it was no at sermon it. no speech nothing was working nothing was, that phrase and that came you go back and ask Dan Rick about this they don't remember it See, and that's what I mean God knew me so well that at that exact moment that phrase was the only thing to get me to turn and say stand up and make a step and now that phrase probably would not work for anyone else in this whole world but another phrase or a view of a picture or uh, just somebody giving their hand to you I don't know but something very specifically for you God knows and he knows the perfect timing it will be there then it's your choice as hard as it was is like okay that turned me and I was willing to take a step and then he met me and then he was helping me make the next step the next step and now we're four years down the road from this and and that's where that title came from take a bullet right and it was a choice to uh, to, go, <coughs> to go in and, and get help too um, so many people don't want is it pride I don't know they don't want to pull you know air our dirty laundry or, or whatever it is but in those moments like you talk about that this book was written for is when life or death for the relationship comes and we really have to make a choice to you know pick up a book like taking a bullet call a pastor on the phone um, but when it comes to family especially when they're not approving of maybe who you married, that can be uh, something that can hinder your relationship with your spouse, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I wrote a chapter on that, Don't Share. Right. Because uh, I personally experienced that. And I had a, a family, a Christian background, adored Celia, loved her as much as they could love any you know, daughter-in-law. Um, and it's very natural for a person to go to their family, their loved ones, especially your mom or your brother or or whatever, to to get uh, you know moral support. More, yeah, yeah, exactly, just, moral support. Like because shoulder it's to a, cry on. You grew up with them, and, and yeah, it's yeah. mom and dad. Exactly. Yeah. So it's very natural to go to them. You're hurting, uh-huh. and especially in this. You know, this is brand new. I, I don't know how this is new hurt. I've been hurt before, but this is devastating. So it's very natural to go to the parents or your brothers, etc. Well, when I did that, now they became a hurdle because you hurt my son, you hurt right. my brother, and yeah. you are at now, you know, safe family. Yeah, exactly. Right. So Celia is yeah. evil, mean, and you leave my son alone or my brother alone, and we're not going to support you at all. And, you know, if I had no intention of. of of healing the fa- the the marriage, etc. You know, and I go off that worldly view, and that and that's the problem is is that that natural tendency to go and get that moral support, uh, they, they become the hurdle, and now you're trying to save your marriage, you're trying to work in marriage. Now they're the ones are saying, don't do it. Right. It's you know they. She's just gonna she do it again. Did, she'll do it again. He's just gonna go looking at porn again. Yeah. There he is. Yeah. They'll give you all the rational reasons. And the world will support that. The world will support that. Right. But I'll tell you right now, God does not. Right. He absolutely he hates divorce, and and, and we can get into the word infidelity, and, and that is justification for divorce. And I'll tell you right now, that's not true. Right. That is not accurate, and that's probably another show. But 
But these people have become now a hurdle. So I'm trying to work on my marriage, and, and I even share the book and say, well, just because right now in this moment, because you're in so much pain, you hate the person, well, I'm not going to get back together with her anyway, or with him anyway, so I can share with my family. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, that's going to change. Yeah. Yeah. You might feel that right now, because I remember feeling that, but that's going to change. Yeah. And you've now created those obstacles. Not your spouse who offended. You did. Yeah. And now you just made the re- reconciliation of your marriage that much harder. And my family fought us, and they had a really hard time until I wrote this book. Uh-huh. And then they read it, and oh my, my goodness, they You're had right. a change of heart. Yeah. I mean, they read it, and they had change. Now they just they knew where Celia was coming from. They knew where I was coming from, and they knew our journey was towards God. And they couldn't argue with that. Right. My best friend, same deal. He really had a hard time. With it. And guess who sponsored it for this book? Right. Was my best friend. He's the one that financially backed this book wow. for it to be published. Without his support, it would not have been published. Right. So his 100% change of heart, my mom 100% change of heart, my brother. And that was because they read and they had a different perspective. They understand where our journey but, you know, they would have never been a, uh, an issue. They would have been support from day one right. if I didn't share. Right. And that's, uh, you're right, and that's absolutely a, a hurdle that we could, something that could trip us up. Um, family is so important, but it's also something that I think people need to realize, the fact that if you, especially when there's children involved, you think you're going to just sever that relationship when you've had a child with that person? No, you're going to have to see them on weekends. You're going to have to schedule Christmas and Thanksgiving around them. You know, you, this is not a, a relationship that you just sever, you know, especially when there's children involved. That's another thing that people need to really look at as well. Um, some, some, some of the stuff, um, James, the listeners might think, you know, James, this all sounds great, but is it really realistic for me? What would you say to that person who's hurting, whose heart's been shattered on the floor, and they're saying, you know, I don't know if this is realistic to me. Well, that's a really good question. Because uh, in, unless you're really in, in the moment, and and I, could, I come from perspective of, I know what it's like to be in your shoes. But I'm at a different place now. Right. So I'm not actually wearing your shoes. So that's a really good question because I'm not in that point of being in an incredible amount of pain and uh, all those things like that. But the difference is I hope that I can at least be an example of there's hope and there is outcome. There, you can get through this. Right, you can, you can get through this, and et cetera. So what it came down to is at that the, the turning point moments was it ha- can't be about feelings. Right. It has to be about choice, about decision. I made a commitment to Celia to be married to her, right. to the death do us part. Same with her. And that is a decision. Now, if I based our relationship on our feelings, uh, we'd probably be divorced every other day. Right. <laughs> okay? So we have a saying that, you know, uh, you know, we're had two options. We were going to, I was, we were either going to get a divorce or there was going to be a murder. <laughs> you know, so divorce is off the table. It might murder her, but no. <laughs> no, but the, the feelings come and go. You love your wife. I'm upset with my wife. Right. I'm adoring my husband. He's ticking me off. Things like that. Your feelings come and go up and down. You can't base. 
It's your choice and, and a commitment. I choose to be married to her. And guess what? The feelings come along after it. Right. And that and that's wh where that's coming from. It's, it's a matter of choice. And then that choice leads to the next set of choices, the next set of choices. And I'm making a decision. So as far as being realistic, the what it's going to look like in a year is so far-fetched for them. And I, I understand it because I, I didn't know how the next hour is going to look right. or, or the next day. And, and that's what I'm saying. It's a step. I will stand up for God. And then the next thing he'll show me, I will do that for God. And then it's not just little baby steps. I'm taking some big steps. And then I'm taking some sprints. And then I'm taking some marathons, etc. I can't do a marathon on that first day. Right. Physically impossible for if you you know if anyone works out in the gym, you're not going to go bench 400 pounds. You have to work up to that point. So the same thing. It's I, God knows us very well. So He gives us that courage and strength to do that. What we need to do that first day. So that that what's realistic for each person is that they can uh, do what God is asking them to do, and that would look for different people or different. Uh, it'll look differently for different people. Right. Um, and that does lead to um, what I talk about: resolution versus reconciliation. Right. Uh, I was typically, you know, I'm an A-type person. I, I'll solve the problem. She would come, you know, this is what happened at work, and blah blah blah, etc. And I said, well, I'm gonna go take care of that. And she didn't want me to go t beat up her boss. Right. <laughs> no, she just wanted to vent. Yeah. Exactly. That took us me a year to figure out. Mm -hmm. I'm going, you know. <laughs> Now, a whole year for me to figure that out. All she wanted to do was to vent. And then she was done. I'm focusing on the resolution. I'm going to fix the problem. Reconciliation focuses on the relationship, which you talk all the time about. It's critical. Is what am I going to do for the relationship? The decisions I'm going to make for the relationship. That's a whole different... I'm not focusing on the infidelity. I'm not focusing on the deception. I'm not focusing on the pornography or whatever the issue is. The gambling, the lies. I'm focusing on the relationship. That's reconciliation. And it's two parts. you got forgiveness and repentance. If you don't have either one, you don't have reconciliation. Yeah. Now, since I'm the one that was offended against, my responsibility, what God is asking me to do, is to forgive. What God is asking her to do was to repent as many times as she needed to do to, to show that remorseful heart. When we have the, both those together, we can have reconciliation. Now, she could have gone and said, you know what, I don't care I had, you know, I did this thing to you. I don't care you're hurting. That's not a repentant heart. I can still forgive her and say, I, sorry that's the way you feel, and it's, that's the cho choices you're making, but I still forgive you. Right. Because I could be bitter, I could be angry for the rest of my life. By forgiving her, I'm letting go. Right. But if she asks for is repentant and and asking for that that forgiveness and, and showing re true remorse, a change of heart, and I'm saying screw you, I don't care. You know, there's not reconciliation. And then I go down that road of that really bitter. I mean, I'm sure people, your listeners, have seen people who are tragedies have happened. You know, right. a drunk driver has killed a family member. And this person's been in jail for five years or ten years or fifteen years, and they're on parole, and they're still mad. Yeah. And and the world will say justified. Yeah. Yes, you should be mad. My gosh, fifteen years of being angry. Yeah. If, if you can find in your heart to forgive that person, what a ch difference in your life would be. 
It has nothing to do with that person. And so that's when uh, the reconciliation can come together, when those happen. That's right. And that's the relationship. I heard uh, an analogy. It was on a TV show, I believe, where somebody said... uh, not forgiving someone for something like that is, is like uh, drinking poison and expecting them to die. Right. So, you know. Yeah, I heard yeah. that as well. That's a great... And something you, about reconciliation and, and repentance. One of the worst things I think I said to my wife as a porn addict was she would get angry with me or I didn't feel like... Um, I didn't feel like we were getting anywhere. And one of the worst things I could say to bring her back was I was just looking at porn... It's not like I cheated on you, you know, that kind of thing. And that would just infuriate her. And and uh, that was me being unrepentant at the time. And I just want um, guys to know who are struggling with the porn issue that it, it, to women especially, it, it really doesn't, it, there's no, there's maybe a line there, but there's, there's still, it's still very, very hurtful thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, it's that humble heart. Coming over, I, I, I'll give silly credit. I mean, she did an incredible job of having a humble heart. I would be. I mean, we're, we can't be talking about justice. Mm-hmm. We can't right. be talking about fairness. Uh-huh. I mean, mm-hmm. that that left in in the Garden of Eden. Okay, uh-huh. that's gone. Okay, so she had this incredible humble. Uh, she'd come before me and just say, "Okay, what can I do?" And I would be verbally abusive. I would be angry and just lash out at her. And many people say justified, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she took it and took it and took it. Pretty soon, I stopped lashing out because there was nothing to fight against. Right. There was nothing that there was no no one swinging back. She just took it, and she got she can't just had such a credible humble heart that pretty much after a while I just stopped lashing, and I saw that that won me over. She never stopped. She never quit. She continued to take this other abuse. It was abuse. From me because she knew that she was, you know, in a way a creator, but she just took it and took it and it won me over. Now she fought back. Uh-huh. If she fought back, we wouldn't probably be here the way we are today. Yeah. And so, but her humble heart won me over, and then I said, okay, she is being repentant. Yeah. You know, I had to see that to be able to move forward. Right. So as an offender, I, that's critical. You and that's know, almost that's that timeline as well. You got to right. continue to do that as the person's healing. And that's almost what was with the withdrawal thing for you. The uh, constant verbal onslaught towards Celia was almost a little way of your own um, backing away from her in, in an intimate sense until you could see how she wasn't going to fight back, as you say. Um, I think I did that with my wife. I would almost maybe pick a fight or how much do you love me in some sick way try and you know, get her to beat up on me more because I felt I deserved that to a certain extent. But when we really started to heal is when we could get down to those roots of, of, of intimacy and really communicate each other's hearts and, and why we were either backing away from each other or withdrawing from each other and talking about that. And that's something that Alec, I think, taught both yeah. of us, and you know, and that process is uh, whenever we work with a couple or or an individual, and we hear that they're going through those kind of battles, that that is very encouraging yeah, to us because I, I, there's a chapter, you know, love, hate, and indifference. And many people think hate's the opposite of love, and it's not. Indifference is. If you have hate, there's passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I hated her. There's moments I hated her, and I was angry, and I, you know, that actually. 
it, it subconsciously encouraged her until we spoke yeah. to Alec Lee Warren and told, shared this with us then he, that really encouraged her because she knew that well if I'm that passionate to be that angry at you I must love you. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, right. As sick as that is. Yeah, it's it's true. Know, but it's true. Now, it if I didn't care, she can't possibly hurt me. You didn't, you know, the, the 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 neighbor that lives three miles down from me, who I don't even know had an affair last month, that didn't affect me. Yeah. Because there's indifference. Uh-huh. I have no idea. It's not going to affect my life at all. Right. But because of this relationship, it did affect me. And there, so when someone is, you know, going through that process of what, even though it isn't healthy, it, it's okay. I would say at first, but we need to move on beyond that in a relatively quick. You can't continue to abuse somebody that way, but it is encouraging. So if you're the offender and you're having a spouse that's yelling at you like that, be encouraged by that in the sense that they have passion, that's that they right. must love you. And care enough about you that you've hurt, you were able to hurt them that much. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. that's when um, my husband got um, caught for the last time of porn. That's kind of almost the situation I was going at. It was, you know, I was going to where, you know what, I'm done. You know, yeah. I'm ready to, I'm leaving. I'm done. You were getting to, and that's where he me. got scared exactly. and yeah. started really getting into working and wanting to counsel and and all that. I mean, you were doing a little bit before, but that's when you... Right. <laughs> the last ate. time I didn't wound you as much, you started yeah, feeling I like... I started feeling less, yeah. Like you were, uh, all right, you know, this is just how he is, yeah. you know, and that was scary for me because, you know, that... Because it's almost like a sick thing that we get into maybe is, is how much do you love us mm-hmm. or screwing up our relationship to, to try and mm-hmm. get that. It's, it's something... You know, like a test. Yeah, yeah. And it's subconscious. It's not something you think in your brain. Mm-hmm. You don't actually think this and oh, then yeah. carry yeah. it out. You know, execute a plan. I mean, you just subconsciously, forever, for whatever reason, an upbringing or whatever hurts from the past you carry with you. Mm-hmm. It's a way to be acknowledged. Uh, it's a way to get attention. It's it's just something inside you that needs filled. You know, a hole that is there. And this is a way to uh, reaffirm that you're valuable. That's and right. it's a very warped, um, un- unfortunate thing that many, many people have this problem. And this is, this is an epidemic. It is. Um, it is. Big you know, time. when people don't have God in the first position, you know, in their life as number one, then they search for these other things to fill that void. And that was my problem. That was exactly what was happening yeah. with me and me and too. too. And exactly. And I hope um, the listeners out there can, can identify with this. And don't don't wait till the bomb goes off to start fixing this stuff. Right. If you're listening to this show and you think you're just going to drive around and, you know, oh, that was great, or, or whatever you're doing while you're listening to this show, I, I pray to God you're taking action steps mm-hmm. to deal with, with your uh, sexually acting out. Digitalaudioconnect.com, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, which will conclude part one of a two-part series called Taking a Bullet, part three of the series The Bomb Goes Off. Send me an email, it's russ at digitalaudioproject.com. The next show will air soon after this one. I'm not going to make you wait a whole week, just in case there's somebody who's really touched by this episode. I am going to enter it right after, a day after, maybe two days after this episode is aired. So, 
DigitalAudioProject.com. Thanks for listening. Taking a Board, Part 1.